Good morning, everyone. Um, hi, my name is Lauren Padilla, and I am with the Adams Community Group. Um, I just wanted to um, read today out of Philippians 2, 1 through 11, if y'all want to go ahead and follow along with me. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, the, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of the name that is above every name, so that every, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. My mic fell off. Hey, good morning. Um, welcome to the grand opening of Redeemer Church. All right. This, uh, I'll move right here. Man, this by no means means that we've made it. Uh, it means that the work's just now getting started. So uh, really thankful that you are all here. Really thankful that you all survived Snowvid 19 last week. Uh, that was crazy. Uh, glad you're all safe and secure, and we're all here worshiping the Lord at the Fundome together. Just really thankful uh, to be pastoring this church. Uh, really thankful to be friends and family with so many of you. I'm just uh, taking a look around this room and really overwhelmed and humbled to, to be here before you. <clears throat> okay. I need to start or I'm not going to make get through this. So I've watched a lot of TV. Um, I haven't watched much anything current since like The Office stopped making new episodes. So I rewatch a lot of classic TV shows and I rewatch a lot of sit sitcoms from years past. One of my favorite TV shows of all time is Seinfeld. Um, that's not an endorsement. Like, I'm not telling you that you should go and watch Seinfeld, uh, but I think it is really, really funny. The four main characters are just so self-absorbed that it leads to a lot of situations that could otherwise be avoided if they weren't so selfish. Hilariously, though, they're really selfish, and they get themselves into a lot of trouble. For example, I was watching one the other night, George and Jerry, two of the main characters, were uh, working on this writing project, 
And they had a deadline that they had put off and put off and put off. And their deadline was coming. And they're in Jerry's apartment. And in another form of procrastination, they decided they needed some Chinese food. And so they, they call the guy. Uh, he's going to deliver it to the apartment. The Kramer comes over. They're all going to eat this Chinese food together. Um, and so they get back to work. As the food was being delivered, the fourth character, Elaine, comes running into the apartment helping this poor Chinese delivery boy who has apparently been injured because Elaine had allegedly jaywalked and in an effort to avoid hitting her on his bike, he runs into a parked car and goes flying. So they're telling this story. They're explaining what had happened. The story ends with, and the food went flying. George then starts yelling at the poor delivery boy about why he didn't save the food. Instead, he was like this poor Chinese delivery Chinese food delivery guy was like had a concussion and he was all out of sorts and George was like, "Where's my chow fung? I just want my food." He was more concerned with his stomach than with the welfare of the injured kid. And this show is just full of funny moments like that. And they're funny because it's just TV, and they're really funny because it's not happening to me. (laughs) Um, It's honestly funny because it's kind of relatable. We all function at various points and in various ways just like this. Apart from a work of Jesus in our hearts, we are all prone to selfishness. In relationships, we are not always the most gracious people. Any parents in here holler back at me? Um, Just this week, I had a moment of conflict with my sweet wife where I had hurt her because I was not being considerate of her. I was more concerned with myself. And oftentimes, our choices at some level are rooted in what I want or what we think we need. Have you ever stood around with your group of friends and you're all trying to decide where you're going to go eat after church and the consensus in this group of four to six to twelve people is like no I don't really care just let's go somewhere no one cares no one has an opinion then one guy pipes up and he says hey let's go to Rosa's and then you're like oh not Rosa's (laughs) now think about the church what would happen Or what would it look like if we operated habitually and consistently like this? Where we were the most important person in our life, and consequently everything that we did revolved around our wants and our perceived needs, and definitely our preferences ruled the day. What would our churches look like? Honestly, A lot of Christian culture is predicated on this idea that we're going to be this attractional church and we're going to build all of these programs and we're going to gather all of these people by preaching five messages on ways to have a better marriage or three ways to be a better parent. And we're going to build these awesome kids ministries and build $21 million sanctuaries. And I don't want to spend any time talking about that, uh, but I do want to encourage us to be a church that views the church through the lens of the Bible and that we operate with a biblical understanding of what a church is. 
So before I bemoan a bunch of stuff in our culture, I do want to be really clear. Guys, I really do want to reach people. And I do want ministries here at Redeemer Church meeting in the Fundome. I want ministries here that are done with excellence. And I want people to feel like our kids' area engages our kids, but with the gospel. Not for entertainment's sake. But also, having said all of that, my goal is to not do things for show and production value. I want the attractional component of this church to be Christ. And I want our gospel witness in this community to be an authentic and genuine Christ-like witness to this community that is rooted in hearts that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus. I want our church to be filled with people who have been so overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of Jesus to them that they can't help but go and tell their neighbors and their co-workers and their friends and families about it. All the other stuff, I hope we view as nice byproducts. But our primary focus of this church is going to be Jesus and the worship and adoration of the crucified Christ. So today, I want to spend a little time unpacking this idea, and hopefully by the end of our time together, you'll be able to see and understand why the leadership of Redeemer Church lands in this spot. And hopefully, you'll also experience the love of Jesus for you and see his desire for you and his church. So I'm going to deal with our passage in Philippians 2 that that Lauren read, but I'm going to do it in reverse order. Uh, To understand the reason of the corporate church, uh, the calling of the church, I think we first need to understand the reason for the church. So before we dive in, can I, I want to pray for us one more time. Let's go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are thankful people. Lord, we understand that by your grace, we can do nothing. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for these people. Lord, thank you for the calling that you have placed on our lives. Lord, we are just overwhelmed by your gratefulness to get us to this point. Lord, I pray that it would not stop. Um, Lord, that you would do a work in us. Lord, that you would establish the work of this church in this community for so many years. Lord, but first and foremost, may you just get a lot of glory and honor out of our lives and out of the work of this church. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We invite you to do a work in us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Philippians 2. Whoop. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Amen and amen. Um, So beginning in verse 6, we see the Apostle Paul writing this hymn about Jesus. And in it contains some of the most ironic statements of the Christian faith. Let me explain what I mean. The Christian message is that Jesus Christ is the conquering king. But everything that we would typically think about kings who conquer is not what we see in the person of Jesus. He came not in splendor, but in humility. I don't know any other king that was born in a stable. He was in the form of God. He was with God at creation. He was active in creation. Jesus is God. And our passage today tells us he emptied himself, and he became a servant. He humbled himself to the will of the Father, and he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And because of Christ's humiliation, we then see him being exalted by the Father. And when Christ is exalted, God gives him a name that is above every name. And in my study this week, there's a lot of debate about what this name is. There's a lot of discussion about it, and I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't think it really matters. It's not worth arguing about. But what you need to know is this. That name is superior to anything on earth, anything under the earth, anything above the earth. It's superior to anything you can think or fathom, and that belongs to Jesus. So after he's been exalted, we see the Christ glorified When the Father bestows on him the name that is above every name, we see every knee on heaven and on earth and under the earth bowing down before Christ and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. At the culmination of the new heaven and the new earth, when Christ has returned and redeemed his people, we will see all of creation kneel before him. And some of us, We'll do this willfully and obediently as a response to what Christ has done for us. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, and with the hope of all that he is going to do, church, our only response this morning is worship and adoration. Jesus went to the cross to save sinners. Despite our sin, despite our disobedience, despite our rebellion, And knowing our hearts were not going to be inclined towards worship and inclined towards obedience and inclined towards adoration, he willfully emptied himself of his position in heaven and endured your cross. The way to be right with God in every world religion is by earning your way to God. It is based on your works. It's not based on on grace. Christianity, on the other hand, is different from every other world religion in this aspect. All other religions, Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, any other one state that you must earn the right to be reconciled to God. You must be good enough. It is by what you do in this life through your good deeds or your bad deeds that determine your eternal destiny. Christianity is completely different from this. It is not a religion. One writer says it like this, religion is man trying to reach up to God. The message of Christianity is God reaching down to man. 
Religion is about what man has to do to be right with God. Christianity is about what God has already done to provide us the opportunity to be right with Him. Religion says you must earn your salvation by doing good deeds or certain acts and not doing evil. Christianity says all we need to do is believe that Christ has already paid the price for the evil we have done. Christianity says we're all evil and filled with sin, and there's nothing we can do to earn the right to be saved. Christianity says that God, in the form of Jesus Christ, stepped into our place and paid the awful price that had to be paid for us. If you believe in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf, you will be with him in his exalted and glorified state. And that is wonderfully good news. But that's not only good news for our eternities. Christian, it ought to affect how you live today. It ought to affect how you function in your marriages and how you parent and how you work. And it ought to affect how you function in the household of God. Namely, how you behave towards other believers. And listen, honestly knowing what you have been saved from, knowing what the alternative is, knowing what we have been called to, ought to humble us to our core. Go back to verse 1, Philippians chapter 2. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So slight disclaimer here. A lot of people think Christianity is a bunch of rules. People think it's a bunch of do's and do not do's. And look, there's a component of that. But I want you to keep in mind something. The rules and regulations are not rooted in behavior modification. You are not functioning in an effort to try to earn your salvation. You are acting in response to your salvation. If I were to ask you, who is Jesus? What would you say? Hopefully, in a room full of Christians, you would mostly respond, Jesus is the Lord, the Savior of the world, and my Lord and Savior. But culturally speaking, that is not always the case. Some people say that Jesus was a prophet. Some people say that Jesus was a good moral example and we need to follow his uh, his example. Jesus was a good moral person and we need to follow his example. But if that's all that Jesus is, then none of this really has much bearing on our lives. But if Christ is indeed the Lord and Savior, the risen Messiah, then that changes everything. The Apostle Paul gives us some commands. Yes, don't be selfish. Care for others as much as you care for yourself or more than you care for yourself. But why? Why is any of this important? Think about 
your family for a second. Whether you're married, a parent, single, whatever, think about some of the most important relationships you have in your life. I think we would all agree that we should not be selfish in our relationships. And we like those who we're in relationship with to not be selfish too. One of my least favorite things to do in this entire life is to change diapers. I don't know anyone who actually enjoys this. There was a point in my life where I had three kids in diapers at one time. Imagine how my wife would have felt if I expected her to change 100% of the diapers in our house. That wouldn't have been very selfless of me. That wouldn't have been very servant-hearted of me. And I'm not setting a good example for my kids by functioning that way. If I'm not serving them, I'm not setting a good example for them. Paul tells us to serve one another in the way that Christ served the church. In John 13, the same day that Jesus is arrested, at the last supper he would share with his closest friends, his disciples, he stoops down and he washes their feet. In the most humble way, Jesus bends to serve his followers. And he ends this moment with his disciples by saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He would then be arrested and ultimately executed on a sinner's cross, stooping once again to serve. And we have to respond to this. One commentator says it like this, Followers of Jesus, the Lord who stooped to servitude in order to conquer our enemy, followers of Jesus, then we must therefore exhibit a rare combination of qualities. We are called to be bold and humble, fearless and selfless, Heaven's citizen soldiers must be unflinching in the face of opposition and unflinching in the face of opponents' aggression, but gentle and open-hearted towards our Christian comrades in arms. In Philippians 1, 27-30, Paul has emphasized the need for fearless courage in the face of opposition and suffering. Now he focuses on Christians' relationships to each other showing how imperative it is that we fight for unity of conviction and affection through humility of heart. Both themes, courage towards hostile non-Christians and compassion towards annoying fellow Christians, show us what it meant to fulfill our calling as heaven's citizens. Listen, because we believe as the church that Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Lord and Savior— because Jesus is God, then he is our example. In order to follow Jesus, we have to become like Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, we have to become Christ-like. Christ Jesus, who is God, could have remained as he was in heaven, in perfection, but he humbled himself in complete submission to God and redeemed sinners. Jesus looked to the interest of others more than his own. 
And now he's calling the church of God to do the exact same thing. Matt Chandler in his book, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain, says this, quoting Philippians 2. He says, If you're encouraged by Christ's salvation, if you've received any comfort from the Father's love, if the Spirit's empowering presence dwells in you, go all the way in your Christian experience. This is what the Apostle Paul is urging them to do when he says, Complete my joy by living in unity with each other, loving each other, working towards exalting Christ together. In other words, Paul is saying, If the gospel is true, your life should look like it's true. If you've been united with Jesus, this unity should be exemplified in your life. But the wrench in the gears of Christian unity is self-interest and pride. And that's where he goes next. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So what is, what is selfish ambition? Paul starts calling into question our motivations. When you look at the people around you, are you motivated by love to them? Are you motivated by love for them? Are you motivated by something else? When you look at your neighbors and your coworkers, do you think, man, look at their stuff? I want stuff like that. Man, look at that house. That is a nice house. I want a nice house like that. I want a nicer house than them. It looks like they're making this much money. I have to make at least this much money or more than them. One author said it's more than just trying to keep up with the Joneses, as sinful as that might be. But it's about living and being motivated by a desire to say, in your face, Joneses. Selfish ambition is living in a way where what we want rules and what we want reigns, even though the stuff we tend to chase ends up in tomorrow's garage sales. So that's selfish ambition. Trying to look a certain way to make others view you a certain way. Conceit, on the other hand, is more internal. Meaning, what happens to you when you don't get the stuff you're chasing? It's trying to win against other people and being a sore loser when you don't. Conceit connects our self-image to our feelings. And listen, that is so dangerous and destructive to your life. And it's so damaging to the church. And the gospel of Jesus calls us out of this type of behavior. The gospel of Jesus calls us to belief in Christ for salvation. And when our eternities are secure in Christ, our motivations are impacted. When you understand what you've been saved from and called to, it ought to lead us, following the example of Christ, to be willing to pour ourselves out in the very same way that Christ did. Jesus was not thinking about self-preservation. He was not thinking about his own preferences. He was thinking about the glory of God, his Father, and his love for the church when he endured the cross on behalf of sinful humanity. And the Apostle Paul is imploring the church of God to be the united people of God. We are united in creed and confession, yes, and because of that we are to be united in mission to the world. And the world will know we're Christ's followers because of our love for one another. So this is a call this morning, church. 
This is a call to be humble servants of God as Jesus is a humble servant of God. Humility begins with a realistic appraisal of ourselves and of our condition as well as other people being created in the image of God. And let me give you an honest appraisal about yourself. You are more sinful than you probably even realize. But in Christ, you are more loved than you could even imagine. So listen, because of this truth that you are more loved than you can even imagine in spite of your sin, because of this truth, any concern you have about the church must be rooted in the gospel as a concern for everyone in the church. God actually calls each of us to care for each other deeply in a love that binds your souls together so strongly that differences in perspective and differences in preferences cannot and will not pull you apart. The strong love that Christ calls us to ought to be a result of the great love that Christ poured out for us. The strong bond of affection grounded in the truth of the gospel stabilizes our relationships with other believers. So now we can address our differences, whether those differences be theological or personal, and we're to address those differences in Christ-like humility and in Christ-like love. So practically speaking, this means a few things. This all sounds really idealistic, right? Like if we love one another, everything is going to be awesome. But the reality is we are all sinners and we're all prone to sin against one another because of the sin nature that we inherited from our first parents. We are all hardwired for selfishness and self-centeredness. So the call is for humility, Christ-like humility. Next week we're going to talk a little bit about community and a lot of this is going to spill over into next week. But for now, I just want to take like a corporate bird's eye level view of this. So can we all acknowledge a few things? We're all capable of being hurt, yes? We have all been hurt at one point or another, yes? We're all probably guilty of hurting somebody. And that gets amplified by a hefty margin in the church. If you've been in church for any long period of time, you've probably seen this in one form or another. A church split, a faction of some kind, people fighting over worship preferences, a moral or ethical failure by the church leadership, unconfessed sin in the church that leads to a lot of hurts, and on and on and on and on we could go. And what tends to happen is people get their feelings hurt, and instead of reconciling those relationships, people leave the local church that Christ has called them to. And guess what happens? They land in a new spot, a new place, with a new group of people, a new group of sinners. And the cycle starts over again. And eventually, we either end up back where we started, or we leave the church altogether, and both situations breed a lot of anger and bitterness. And unfortunately, that is the West Texas way. And unfortunately, that is not the way of the gospel. Slight disclaimer and tangent, if I may. I think there are good reasons to leave a church. Sometimes. 
But unresolved conflict and unwillingness to deal with conflict is not one of those reasons. End of tangent. Let me reiterate a few things this morning as we're closing our time together. The problem isn't other people. Yes, people can and will hurt us. Yes, these hurts are real. Yes, it is okay to be hurt. It's not okay to deal with your hurt, to not deal with your hurt. It's not okay to not deal with your hurt. All right, don't laugh at me, sorry. It's not okay to not deal with your hurt. It is okay to be emotionally and spiritually where you're at. It's not okay for you to stay there. The problem isn't just other people. The problem is you. The problem is your sin. The problem is my sin. The problem is all of our sin. The gospel not only liberates you from sin and death, it also, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, enables you to forgive people that have hurt you. The gospel is not about us. It's about what Christ and his glory it's about Christ and his glory and what he accomplished through the cross. When you read the Bible for all it's worth, one thing you will notice is that we are sinners first. Before we ever sinned, uh, before anyone ever sinned against us, before we were ever sinned against in this life, we were sinners too. We are sinners first and sinned against secondly. And as a Christian... As members of this body, or any body of believers for that matter, it is imperative that we understand this and we operate from this place. We have to understand that when left to ourselves, we are capable and probably guilty of the same evils and ugliness that we want to complain about in other people. But we've been given an example of Christ to follow. He who did not count his own preferences greater than other people's, even though as God he could have, he went to death for others so that we can have forgiveness. Hebrews 12.1-2 says, Since therefore we, have, uh, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the type of love that Christ is calling us to. That is the type of love and sacrifice that is required to be Christians in the world today. So we have some things this morning that we need to take care of. If we're going to move forward with a long and fruitful ministry in Odessa, in a town that desperately needs the gospel, we have to make sure we're properly functioning within our identities as Christians. The gospel for the church is about a people forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus operating as a forgiven and redeemed people. If church to you is purely about showing up 
and checking off some religious box or about what you're getting out of it, then this is not going to fulfill you. And this won't sustain you. Because conflict in the church happens, and because we're all sinners, we are going to fail one another. But how we respond in those situations reflects what we believe about Jesus. So here's how we're going to respond. Listen, the point here is Christ and his glory. And I cannot overstate that. So the question that we need to be constantly asking ourselves is this. How does the gospel speak to my issues? How does the gospel speak to my issues? Maybe you think you have nothing to offer this church by way of service, but the scriptures are very clear that if you're in Christ, you have a role to play by way of service to the church. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So what that means for us is this, probably a number of things, a number of things. We serve one another as a gospel-centered missional family. We serve because we are a family. And families have a duty to help each other. For us, Sunday mornings at the Fun Dome are not the goal. Our goal is not consumer-driven church. We're not trying to build an arena culture where everything is put together when we arrive. We're striving for family. This isn't about showing up with a swag bag under your chair and everything being done for you. It's serving one another. And in that serving, it's showing that our personal preferences are secondary to the manifold wisdom of God being made visible among us. Maybe you don't like the song we're singing or the style of worship we're doing here. Sing anyways. The Holy Spirit can and will use all different types of worship songs and styles to minister and work in someone's life. We serve in kids because it might allow a single mom or a single dad to come in and have a break and worship and be fed so they can go home and love their kids well during the week. We stand out in the parking lot in 37 degree weather. We greet because we too were once welcomed into the family of Christ. We set up in here because we want things to be done smoothly and with excellence to prevent distractions from the word being preached. We give because Christ has already given everything to us through him. We give because the work of Christ in us is vitally important to us. And we understand that the blueprint that God gives for reaching people in the New Testament is the local church. We give joyfully and sacrificially so that others have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond in faith to the love of Christ for them. We give so that the work of Christ can go forward because we want to be a sending church. We want to send church planners and missionaries all over our town, all over our region, all over our world so that the gospel of Jesus can go to the nations. Honestly, our town and our region are filled with churches that try to create environments for people to come and consume. But the call of Jesus is to deny ourselves. 
Take up our cross daily and follow him. The call of following Jesus is not necessarily a come and see. It's a come and die. Not to sit back and have your ears tickled. Christ is calling you out of your sin. Christ is calling you to repentance. Christ is offering you something better than the junk that you're pursuing that's not satisfying you. And the junk that's leaving you empty. So here's how we're going to end this morning. Before we move forward from today, if you are harboring any secret sin, or if you need to confess your sin before the Lord, now is the time to deal with Jesus. Christ went to the cross for your sin and for your shame. You don't have to carry around those burdens anymore. Your sin doesn't define you. As a believer, your sin does not define you. Christ left that in the grave. Christ and his righteousness defines you. Operate from that freedom. Repent and respond in faith to Jesus. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. Secondly, if you have conflict with someone in this body, deal with it. Get up from your seat and go to that person and deal with this conflict. The glory of Jesus is at stake in for a lost and dying world and how we reconcile our relationships with one another. So if you're harboring bitterness or if you've been offended, go to that person. Today, during our response time, in a few minutes, go to that person and work it out. Y'all pray together. Don't leave here the same way you came in. Thirdly, if you aren't a Christian... Know that Christ went to the cross for you. Christ went to the cross to forgive you, and you can have freedom from sin and shame that you're walking in. Christ is calling you to be his son or his daughter and is inviting you into his family. He wants you in spite of you. Like all the stuff you think you've done that Jesus cannot love you, that's just not true. Christ wants you And the invitation is to lay down your burdens at the foot of the cross. And fourth, if you're a covenant member of Redeemer Church and you're not serving, man, what are you doing? The call of Jesus is to stop living for ourselves. The call on the church is to follow the example of Christ and serve one another. We need a lot of help to get this thing going. If we're going to have any longevity in this community, we need a lot of help. We need help in kids' ministry every single week. We need help setting up and tearing down every single week. We need help in the band. We need group leaders. Find a place. Plug in. Serve. Own it. Make it your own. But don't do it out of mere obligation. Think about where you'd be if Christ had not redeemed your life. And serve Jesus out of a joyful submission to him and what he has done for you. Finally, we're just going to worship Jesus together. With glad and grateful hearts, respond to him for what he has done for you. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing the cross on my behalf. Lord, thank you for the joy that was set before you that you endured my sin and my shame to redeem sinful humanity to yourself. Lord, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Lord, that you are still calling people to faith and repentance. So, Lord, I pray that you would be active in this moment to bring sons and daughters to glory. Lord, we ask that you would move in these next few moments. Lord, we love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you're new, uh, we take a few minutes and respond. Uh, I'm going to ask that you all stand. Um, Honestly, though, I'm going to ask that you not waste these next few moments. If you have unconfessed sin, man, Scripture says confess your sins one to another. Go find somebody. If you have, get before the Lord and confess your sins to Jesus. If you have conflict with somebody in this church, deal with that. Just don't waste these moments. The Lord is wanting to move and to use these moments. So, um, yeah, just respond honestly to, to how God is moving in your life and stirring in your heart. I'm going to be sitting right here. If you need to pray with me, I would love to pray with you. If you have any questions about what faith in Christ looks like, come, come talk to me. There's people in the back that'd be willing to pray with you as well. Um, If you need to pray with somebody, uh, again, just don't waste these moments. Would you stand? And we're going to worship together.